Check, one, two, check. Check, one, two, check. Body check. Hip check. Puck check. Stick check. <laughs> Just going with it. Uh, hockey terms there. Yeah, hockey terms. Good stuff. I don't know if I'll cut that. That's good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, we are we are live. So this is awesome. You ready? I'm ready. Three, two. Hello and welcome to If Anyone Cares. My name is Riley James and we are live on location from a very large building that is echoing as I'm talking into it with a man who I have worked with on numerous occasions. I find incredibly interesting because I met him at a very different stage than his life before I met him. It, just a complete 180 and to see this side of him but hear stories about the previous side of him. It, it's just an incredible experience for so many reasons. I like to welcome to the show a man who's been behind the scenes of many things that I have done, but has not gotten the recognition nearly that he deserves. So let's talk to him for about an hour. Dave DeVille. Ah, the crowd goes wild. <clears throat> Dave. Hey, Riley. How you doing, Riley? I can throw some applause in there if it makes it feel better. Oh, Brilliant. you can? I can. <laughs> but you just told him the building is empty. And I got to say, the building is empty. Like, it feels like there should be a whole lot more than two of us in here. We are, of course, recording at a safe distance with no fans in the audience. We are on a stage right now. This is, like, we are, like, in a performance-type setting. Yeah, that's, yeah, we're on stage, and we're looking out over the seats that are empty, save for a backpack and one. And it, like I said, it feels like there should be a show going on. With music and production and, I mean, you know. But Some, we, we do have an audience, but it's like in the future now, from now, but not when they're listening. Yeah, you guys are in the future right now. Or I guess we're in the future since we're talking to We're in the past. Them. This is such a, oh my goodness. This is paradox. It's um, way too early to be doing this. It's too early in the show. Okay. I was like, it's 3.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> David, I, I mentioned that you've come with me on many adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've been behind the scenes of some of my bigger moments. Uh, right. What would you say has, has been the, the best experience for you coming with me to things? The best experience with you? Well, now, this isn't fair because I love sushi. And <laughs> there was that time we went to the revolving sushi bar, and that definitely takes the cake. But it's selfish of me to say that because <laughs> my best memory with most people is over sushi. I, it, well, not most people. I've just come to sushi in the past five years. I think the best memory I have with you is definitely the U.S. women's national team oh. uh, in Houston. That, well, now, they obviously, I think it was 5 nothing was four. the final. 4, four nothing. nothing, yeah. But it was like all in the second half. It was one nothing at, at halftime, I think. And it was in the last minute that the United States women's national team scored. And it, it was it was nice for me because, well, it was most memorable for me because it was so united feeling. Everyone was there for the same team. And it was, it was really cool. It was American soil. And I think they were playing, oh, it wasn't Panama. It was... Um, maybe, maybe Costa Rica? Uh, yeah, it was either Panama or Costa Rica. It was, it was a Caribbean nation, um, a Central American nation. And... Uh, anyway, I, there was no one for supporting their team in the in the stands, and we were all supporting the same cause. And everyone was wearing red, white, and blue, 
except for us because we were in the media. <laughs> we had I to think be, I wore green that day. We had to be unbiased <laughs> is what the paperwork said. But regardless, I'm an American, and it felt American to, to be there. It was awesome. Uh, that, that game was my first time covering the U.S. Women's National Team while they were on American soil. It's the first time they had been in Houston for a very long time. And obviously, those they qualified for the Olympics, and the Olympics had been moved to 2021 with a global pandemic happening at the time of the recording. Uh, however, I enjoyed that a lot with you. Yeah. It was fun. Um, the thing that sticks out in my mind is the McNeese game that you and I did. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. Covering McNeese, McNeese State University's football team's homecoming game against Houston Baptist. Uh, you had you were wearing all black, which was a reckless decision. It was so hot. Uh, it was about eighty-eight, and I think on the field it was about ninety-five. It was rough. And you had seven thousand dollars worth of equipment strapped to you. It was intense, dude. It was intense. Um, but the what sticks out in my mind about that game was being in the press box, probably a hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty feet above the field, every bit of twelve to fifteen stories, and the different commentators for the game and different people of the press, men of the press, gambling on the game. That, that's what sticks out in my mind. The guys saying, all right, where's the guy with the parachute? Going on? The third guy with the parachute. <laughs> Three people parachuted in. The first two didn't count, and they're gambling on where the third guy is going to land and how far he's going to roll when he lands. They've got two different bets going. And then what's even more is the guy who's heading it up, like I would call him the house. The house says last year he landed on the 43-yard line and rolled six yards. What? Anyway, <laughs> that stands out about that Houston Baptist and McNeese game. And seeing uh, Coach O's son quarterback McNeese, that was really cool too. And McNeese played a phenomenal game that night. Went for it on fourth down four times. Ended up getting the win. They were very, very aggressive on fourth down. Which it was, was, it was fun. Yeah, it was it fun. It was fun to watch. Uh, I, I will say that that day I got held up by a cowboy as Cody Ogeron sprinted towards the end zone. I thought that was a, just incredible timing. And we got it on film. Very distinct voice at the beginning of um, the Instagram TV video is Dave DeVille talking to me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Is Thank this – oh, we're doing documentary style? What's the direct quote? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that is Dave DeVille. He was uh, on camera for that, and he was on camera for another video on my Instagram account uh, when I interviewed Dig Diego Valeri. That was fun. That was fun. Probably the most famous person I've ever met. David, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit from a little bit before I knew you, and uh, so you, not a not an ideal start maybe to life for you, right? Uh, let's just talk about the bigger picture. I don't want to go into any details you don't want to go into, but uh, overall, what was the decision made, or what happened for you to make the decision that you kind of wanted to get back on track? <clears throat> well. There was, oh man, there was a lot happening there at the end of, of my run, I would call it. But there, there were these guys. We were all, I should start by saying, we were all my friends and myself and my brother. My brother's 15 months younger than me. I was 19, he was 18, and all of our friends were the same age. And we were having some run-ins with some guys in Colorado Springs. It's where I 
moved when I was 10 years old. And we were having some run-ins with some guys that were, they were a little sour that they had been beat up in a fist fight at a Halloween party the year before, and they, they just couldn't get over it. They were vastly outnumbering us. It was, I think it was 15 of them is what we counted, and we only had eight. And one of them had a baseball bat, and they had surrounded us. And uh, one of the guys in our crew had taken the baseball bat out of that guy's hands and just started working him over, and that's, that's when the fight started. And we got the upper hand quickly, and we beat him up pretty bad. It was quite a fist fight. It was in Acacia Park in downtown Colorado Springs, and that's on the corner of Nevada and Platte Avenue, and across the street from the Carl's Jr., if anybody's wondering. And <laughs> Thank you for the details. Yeah, there's a YMCA on, on one side and a Carl's Jr. on the other. And Anyway, we... We beat them up pretty good, and, and we went home, and we all partied down, man. There was a lot of bad things happening that night. I won't even tell you all what we did. And it was just a couple days later, the ATF raided my house, and the, there was a guy that had bought a gun from – from uh, well, they had bought a gun from me. Uh, it was a three eighty, and I named her Jessica. And Rob C. bought the gun, and I don't care telling names, whatever. And he was drunk when he left the house, and he ran into a dumpster at the end of the alley, leaving my house, and there was a cop parked right there, and he pulled him over, and Rob C. had an eight ball of Coke, and he was drunk, and he had a, a pistol, and he immediately told the cop that he had just bought the drugs and the gun from my house, so it wasn't very long before the ATF kicked in my door for the gun, and... They, they found a whole bunch of stuff, man. And then it was just two days later, the DEA broke down the doors. And right when everybody got out of jail, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we all get arrested again. And so things are happening. And I hate to tell you what happened to Rob C. We changed his name to Snitch C. Every time we saw him, we, we called him Snitch C. And we made it a point to jump him. And things were getting out of hand fast. So these boys... his that had lost the fight on Halloween uh, started catching us one at a time and jumping us, beating us up pretty bad. And it came to, it was July, it was right around my birthday. July of 2006, they sliced all the tires. They slashed the tires on the cars that were parked behind my house in the alley. And then they shot my house up. And then drove around to the front of the house and shot it again from the front. And so the house got shot from the back and the front. And it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. Everybody was up partying, and that's what we did back then. And so we decided we were going to go to their house and shoot their house up. That's what we were going to do. But they had shot my house up with a 25 auto, a little bitty baby gun. But I had an SKS with a 100-round mag, 100-round drum mag, and uh, I had a Mossberg 500A pump with the plug pulled out, so I was shooting six 12-gauge rounds out of it, and I had it loaded with some homemade ammunition. The ATF was not happy about that, and they had called it uh, illegally manufacturing ammunition was the charge they put on us for that. My brother and myself caught that one. and But we had already re-upped since then. We already had everything we needed. We had a 44 Magnum, a 357 Magnum. We had a couple of 9 millimeters. Anyway, 15 of us got together in three cars 
and we had some two-way radios and we coordinated it we were gonna we were gonna shoot up this house bad and so I was the I was in the lead car and we'd all been drinking and sniffing coke and getting down it was one o'clock in the morning and I pulled up and I started casing the house and I realized that there were some small kids in the house and you might say what are small kids doing up at one o'clock in the morning but dude that's the hood you know it was actually we don't call it the hood in Colorado it's the barrio the barrio is what the Hispanic influence calls the the ghetto it's in the south it's called the ghetto but out west it's the barrio and so in the barrio the young kids are up man I'm talking seven or eight years old and so I got on the two-way radio and I and I called to the other two cars and I said look there's some kids in here we can't we can't shoot the house up and everyone agreed that we weren't going to shoot the house up thankfully and we decided to blow up all the cars on the street so we <laughs> hold on wait hold on can we pause real quick <laughs> we've been going for about 12 minutes the first seven were delightful stories between you and i sharing sushi and the Dude, last you five... wanted to go down this road and th- i could give you so many more details but i'm just trying to brush up on it so we decide we're going to blow up all the cars on the street and so we do we've got 40 we used uh 40 ounce bottles for our molotov cocktails because the the 12 and 16 ounce bottles of beer didn't hold enough gas to do what we wanted to do so we would take 40s of malt liquor and we would fill the 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 40 ounce bottles up with gas put a rag in it light the rag throw it into the car of course you smash the windows first and you break the bottle over the door panel so that all that gasoline goes in on top of the seats and the steering wheel and the dash and talking front and back where, where the back door and the front door meet that door panel right there and so we blew up all the cars on the street and we drove off and one of them was a little red ford that they had used to shoot up my house and anyway we sent j-rock back over there to check out the scene about an hour and a half later and there was a couple cops there and i remember j-rock was bleeding real bad from slashing the tires on one of those cars his hand slid down the knife blade cut him real deep but j-rock rides back over there and uh, starts walking a block or two away, and he walks up and he asks the the cop. And he, I remember him saying, "Man, she was she's a beautiful cop." He said, "I couldn't help but just look at her like like I wanted to marry her." And he says to her, "What happened?" And she says, "We don't know. If you have any details, we'd like to hear." <laughs> and he said, "No, I'm just wondering what happened." And he said there were eight or nine cars on fire, and the fire trucks were trying to put them all out. But he said they were completely destroyed. And that was my second time to blow up cars. So we were pretty, we had learned a few things the first time. So we knew what we were doing that second time. And anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That laugh. I know. I'm I'm picturing the cops knocking on my door again. I'm 33 now. I have a daughter and a wife and a a good life. And somebody's going to hear this podcast and go, oh, that's the guy, you know. No, Dave, Dave is a relatively good guy. Like, I would consider him up in the upper echelon of people that I know as Thanks, far as buddy. being great human beings. So, so to hear all of these things that apparently are true that he is telling me is, is a wild so wild thing. Anyway, I was, uh, I was on the rocks with this girl that I had been dating for almost five years. We had broke up at the four-year and 11-month mark. And at this point, if we were dating, it would have been five years and four months. So we'd been broke up for five months. And... I just, I wanted some space from her and I was tired of the robbing and the the shooting and the firebombs and 
it was it was it was just I knew I was gonna end up dead or in jail, and that's the truth of it. And we, dude, we had been stealing things for five years now. That that was how we made a living. And I called my dad. He lived in Louisiana. And I told him what was going on, and I, I was darn near in tears. And I had a moment where I was watching my brother. He was push mowing the grass. He, he lived in my house. And I rented out the, both floors of a duplex. It was a top and bottom duplex. And, duplex, and I rented out the top and the bottom. And I, I, He lived with me, and I just asked him to take care of a couple things. And so he would mow the grass every now and again. It was a small yard, inner city springs. It was very small. And so he's push mowing, and I just remember how sickly he looked. And I, and I just couldn't help but think it was the drugs we were on. But, I mean, it was ecstasy every single day. It was coke. I can't tell you how. I mean, it was every hour we were running coke. And uh, anything we could we could smoke, man. We were just we were we were so drugged out, me and my brother. And it was terrible. And I remember thinking, man, he just looks so frail. And I love my brother. And something came over me that I didn't want that anymore. And so I called my dad and I and I told him what was going on and how I was scared that it was all going to end in a horrible gunfight. I had been shot at in traffic twice at this point. And my house had been shot up three times at this point, and it was just getting to the point where I knew I was going to have to kill someone or someone was going to kill me. And either way, it was it was a life sentence. It was a death sentence, you know, either life in prison or die. And so he said that he was attending a church. He'd been drug-free for a year and that he could talk to some people and see if he could find a place for me to stay. And he called me back the next day and he said, "Look, this lady said she can stay at your house. At, at, she, you can stay at her house. You can't bring any drugs, though." I was like, "Cool, no problem, pops." And so I went out and I robbed Danny. He was my uh, my weed and my coke dealer. And uh, I, I hate to say that, but it's the truth. I robbed Danny. His name was Daniel Crookham. We called him Bootleg. If you needed anything, you went to Bootleg. It was before you could just steal anything off the internet. But, I mean, like, if you needed tires, a radio, the newest movie, a jacket, it didn't matter. You went to bootleg. And Danny Crookham, Daniel Crookham, he was from Germany. And he was huge, man. He had beat somebody to death. That was what we heard, anyway, at the movie theater. Some guy had slapped his sister on the butt. And Danny was 6'3", but he was almost 400 pounds. He was a tank. And he had pummeled this guy and choked him to death the movie theaters and uh that was that was the word around the hood anyway and so i pulled a i pulled a gun on him and i i robbed him and i i remember him crying and he was like david doesn't have to be like this and uh, we had love for each other at least what we called love and we had something good going and uh anyway i took everything from him and left my brother a list of people who owed me money and I told him that I didn't think I would ever be back and so I took a Greyhound the next day down to Ball, Louisiana well actually to Alexandria and my dad picked me up and brought me back to Ball I remember on the way down in Amarillo I met a man who was wearing seven baseball caps on top of his head he was trying to sell people baseball caps and I sold him a quarter pound of weed and <laughs> 
in Shreveport, I met a guy who was just fresh out of rehab, and I sold him an eight ball of Coke. And he had robbed a woman the night before. And I, I just wanted some of that cash. And he wanted some of my Coke. He was just out of rehab. First day, second day out. And I went to church the next day. I got to ball on a Saturday, and I just came down hard. I didn't didn't want to be all drugged out meeting all these church people. And so I came down hard on Saturday and slept all day and uh, went to church Sunday morning. And I remember thinking that these church people, man, they were whack. They were about to get got. I was going to get every one of them. I said, look out. I just couldn't help but thinking how weak they were as people. They were trusting people, and they were telling people they loved them, and they were hugging each other. I was like, bruh, these people are done. They're cattle. Like, I'm, I'm about to harvest from them. And I don't know, man. They kind of grew on, on me. Like, that day. It was that day. The Sunday morning I went to church, went home, went to bed, and I was planning it how I was going to start breaking into their cars that night, Sunday night at church. Like, I was just going to go out for a bathroom break, find a couple cars, break into them, see what I could get out of them. And the preacher started preaching. And it was to me, man. He was preaching to me. It was... He was asking, where are you in life? That was the message. It was about Adam and Eve in the garden. And God asking Adam, where are you? And... He asked, I mean, he looked right at me and he said, where are you tonight? Where are you? What are you running from? Who are you, man? Like, that's not, he didn't say, who are you, man, you know, but that's what started going through my head. You know, who am I? What have I made of myself? Why, why am I this way? And I wanted to change. I began to think about why I left Colorado and the new person that I could be in Louisiana. This was in 2006, so it was 14 years ago. And I decided that night I was going to leave it all behind, and I did. I was baptized that night, and I began a life in the church. And that kind of is the change. I think it all stems from that moment watching my brother cut the grass and thinking about the love I have for him. It, boom, shifted that day. I was tired of fighting just the perfect timing that it just it's starting to rain oh yeah i hear it yeah. it was perfect timing right when dave finished it started to rain on our uh on our building right now what a our auditorium yeah i don't think i have the words to to even respond to that um i can a, tell you that I love life, and I would hate to have to pay for the things I've done back then. I, I would hate for the police to show up to my house and say, hey, we know you did all these things 15 years ago, 14 years ago, and you're going to have to serve your time. I would hate that. I, I've, But if it came to it, I understand that I would have to do it. And... I uh, I love life, and that's every day that I wake up, I want to be better than I was the day before, and not just better than I was when I was 19, but better than I was 19 hours ago, and that's, that's how I want to live my life every day. I got to be a little better than yesterday. I got to take care of humanity 
a little better than I did yesterday. I've got to take care of my wife, my daughter, my friends, my affairs, and people who know me will tell you that I pick up people on the side of the road. I, I, I remember when I didn't have a car, and I want to talk to them. I want to tell them that they're loved, that they're not worthless, that there's still one person out there on their team, and I... I root for the underdog. Because you are one. I guess, but maybe not anymore. Dave has, has gone on to find a woman, and like he, like you mentioned, he has a daughter and a, and a wife, and seems to be a pretty good life here. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy because you, you and I met, what, what was it? You and I met in an outback. Yeah, that's right. And... I did not like you at first. I thought you were a jerk. Yeah. Because you knew everything. <laughs> and, then I, and then I really met you. And uh, I got to hear some of these stories. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of I, I still don't know. But to understand where you can, came from and the background that you had, you really know a lot more than I, I do about a lot of things. Especially when I was 17 when I met you. But you were talking <laughs> about how... Dr. Pepper kind of made you less hungry because it it dilutes the stomach acid. That's exactly that's yeah. the phrase you said that yeah. like this guy's a jerk. <laughs> Not going to like him. Yeah, and, I don't like to drink right before I eat because I don't want the stomach acid diluted in my belly. Yeah, that's that's something I do. That's, that's, exa- a, that's exactly what you said. Yeah. It took you're one of the people that made me realize like you have to actually get to know someone before you make a decision. It's not like a snap <laughs> thing you get to choose. Yeah, that's right. So uh, <laughs> getting to know you has been uh, amazing. Realized <laughs> <last two and laughs> years. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't know how open you would be, so I kind of left the question open ended. Well, I want people to know that I'm. I'm not trying to be someone they can't relate to because when people see me and they see a guy that's laughing and joking and has a beautiful wife and a beautiful daughter and things that someone like me probably shouldn't deserve, and I agree with them, I don't deserve what I have, I want them to know that they can come from anywhere. They can come from the very bottom and they can have something that's worth holding on to. So being open is part of healing other people. It's part of helping other people. It doesn't matter how low you get. It doesn't matter how far down you are. If you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and say, I'm going to be better tomorrow than I am today. I'm going to reverse the cycle. I'm not going to continue to spiral downward. I am going to take control over some things in my life. You can pull yourself up. You can get there. Have you been back to Colorado since? I visited for three days. I went to Arizona to visit my dad, and on the way back I passed through Colorado and I saw some, uh, some old friends, but these were, these were friends from middle school that didn't go through the things I went through in high school. I dropped out in the 10th grade. They were all great, you know, these, these friends that I visited, they were all great stand-up people through high school. And they had, uh, it, was, it was two friends, and they both were married and had kids, and I didn't. I was uh, newly married. I, I had been married for a year when I went out there and uh, just stayed for a little time, and I, I didn't drink or anything. I was, I was still very clean at that point, and 
and holding on to it. And I, uh, I remember thinking, I don't know what it's going to be like when I go back to Colorado, but I don't want to visit the same old places. So I didn't even go to Colorado Springs. They had both moved up to Woodland Park, which is probably 25 miles from the springs up into the mountains. And so I visited them there, stayed at one of their houses and left without any uh, acclaim. You know, I didn't, I didn't tell any of my old friends from the Vario that I was there and just in and out. And I still don't think I want to go back. Not yet. I Man, I don't blame you. Yeah, first of all, I feel like if I ran into Danny, Danny would kill me. <laughs> and uh, are you are you at all worried about the name dropping you've done so far? No, not at all. You you don't want me to cut no, any of it. No, I, I want I want Danny to know that I love him for who he is in my memory. He helped me be the person I am. Uh, Jose, who is serving 64 years, Jose Rocha was his name, still is, I guess. Last I heard, he was serving 64 years, and that was 14 years ago, so he's probably got 50 years left, and I know he appeals as often as he can. He was instrumental in making me the person I am. I remember Jose was five foot four, maybe 110 pounds, and just about the scariest person you ever met. And I mean it, just insanely manipulative and conniving and I would call it maniacal and sociopathic but always one step ahead of everyone in the room always 100% of the time and even the law couldn't catch up to him it was it took them forever to get him and they they accidentally got him Uh, he wound up talking to an underage girl and they caught him with some text messages and some it was back when MySpace was a thing, some MySpace <laughs> messages with an underage girl. Yeah. And that's how they caught him. They couldn't catch him selling the crack and the ecstasy and man, he was and he was he was balling. He was making the money. But Jose should know that he made me the person I am today, or he was instrumental in making me the person I am today. And Jose used to direct me to different chop shops to drive cars to different chop shops that were stolen. And uh, he was there the the first, second, and third time that I ever witnessed someone rob another person. And he was there the first time I robbed somebody. And uh, it was terrible, but he he taught me so much about humanity that no one else could have. I want to... Do you have something else? Well, I was going to say I hate... I, I, I hate that we did what we did, but I am glad to know what people are capable of. I, w- I want you to tell uh, the story about the, I, I forget what book it was, but you s- fake selling, I, I think oh, it was marijuana. Oh my goodness, yeah. yeah was... That was like, of all the stories, I feel like this is the friendliest to laugh at. Okay, there was <laughs> like, there was a girl that wanted to buy her brother some weed, and he wanted to start selling it. And it was like a birthday present to him. She was going to, you know, start him on his business venture. And so she 
came to my brother and myself asking if we could get her uh, some weed. And we were like, yeah, no problem. How much do you want? And she wanted, she wanted to know how much you'd need to get started. And we had a conversation with her and we talked her out of getting a pound into getting 10 pounds. And so back then a pound was, now a pound is 16 ounces and you could sell it easily for $50 an ounce. And at that rate, you wind up with $800 a pound. And the pounds were going for $440. So we told her we could get you a pound for $440 or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we can get you a pound for $440 or we can get you 10 pounds for $4,000. And she was on board. She was she was just excited about it. And so she, I don't know how she came up with $4,000, but she did. And my brother and I, decided to now i don't know if you've ever unwrapped a uh, 10 pound brick of weed but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not dude now they take the marijuana and they compress it into the shape of a brick and then they wrap it in saran wrap and then they wrap it in duct tape and then they wrap it in vaseline and then they wrap it in saran wrap and then they wrap it in duct tape and this is all to make it where the drug dogs can't sniff it when it's coming across the border. So you've got saran wrap duct tape, Vaseline, saran wrap duct tape. And we did that to a dictionary. <laughs> we bought a dictionary <laughs> at a thrift store. And we wrapped that dictionary up just like it was a 10-pound brick of weed. And, boy, she was so happy to buy that 10 pounds and... We sold it to her in the parking lot of a of a college there in uh, in Colorado Springs, and when she turned the corner, we were gone. We never saw her again. And now, I'll tell you how how manipulative Jose was. He had nothing to do with that lick, but he knew we were pulling it, and somehow he convinced us to give him some of that take. I don't even remember what it was. I'm telling you, dude, he was manipulative. And he wound up with enough to uh, soundproof a studio he was building. And uh, my brother and I took, I think my brother and I wound up splitting 2,400. I don't know how we came out with those numbers, but uh, we, we both got 1,200 each. And that was a fun one. That was a real fun one. And I man, I feel bad for that girl. If she ever listens to this podcast, I don't know what her name was. I'm pretty good at remembering names, but I didn't know her. That was through my brother. But I would love to sincerely apologize to her and her brother. I, I wish he could have started a business for his uh, birthday, but maybe not that business. But you know, maybe a lawn care business or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I just cringed at like oh, I wish you would have started that business. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. maybe. No, you know it's legal in some places now, even Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's probably not. Uh, start that particular business, unless it is, you know. You know, and here's all here's the, the thing. Paperwork. Here's the thing. Even if it became legal now in Louisiana, I wouldn't do it. I am scared of the grip it had on me then that it would have on me now. I, I wouldn't do it. Do you remember the first time you told me that story? No. You remember where we were? No. So the first time you told me that story. I would guess we were on Interstate 10. No, we were not. We were in a casino parking lot. 
Why were we in a casino parking lot? Because I was filming a commercial for the city of Lake Charles. I do remember now. And uh, you came with me to get some shots that day because I just wanted some company. And plus, two people filming stuff looks a lot better than one person It's definitely filming more me. professional it's, looking. It's more professional, and I gave you a bag to hold. So it looks like you were <laughs> – it looks like we were – like we were actually. Man, doing I thought I was doing perfect. something important. <laughs> yeah, you are. You're making me not seem like a creep. I was holding a bag. Yeah. So we filmed some ducks that day, and we went to the two casinos here in Lake Charles, Louisiana, because that's the main thing people know us for is casinos and the and the giant lake we have in our city limits. But you told me that story, and I was so I was captivated, <laughs> and I laughed very hard. Well. And I, it felt it felt innocent enough for me to laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she did get. <laughs> yeah, she got. Taken. She got gypped out of four yeah. grand, which is not easy money to come up with. No, no, but, it's not. Um, I, I, I felt I felt bad at the time, but it's innocent enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have zero part in doing that stuff anymore no thank god i i do have one big question before we like put a bow on that and move on to maybe the last thing we'll talk about um do you regret anything now because i know i I know you regret some of the things you've done but do you regret how it's played out so far yeah no as far as how it's played out no i don't regret it the thing that i am most upset about myself having done is selling drugs to kids now it wasn't like 10 and 11 year old kids i don't mean that but there's like 14 and 15 year olds now of course the way i rationalized it was when i was 14 i was smoking weed when i was 15 i was rolling ecstasy excuse me when when i was 16 i was sniffing coke you know it was it was it was different then because i i I rationalized it now that I'm 33, I see 23-year-olds as kids, and I want what's best for them, and I know I know that's not best for them. And what I regret, what I feel pain over most, what I'm most upset about is that I ever allowed or influenced or agreed with a, a kid doing drugs. That's what... That's what hurts me. That's what pains me the most. That's that's the one thing. The the shooting at each other and the blowing up of cars, that was that was just part of the life. That's what we called it, the life. Uh, but I wish I would have had the integrity. But I mean, what is integrity when you're living like that? You know what I mean? Right. But regardless, I still wish that I would have just put a limit on it there and and not sold drugs to kids. I do want to move on. You get past all of that. You're you moved to Lake Charles, Louisiana at this point. Okay, all right. And there's an incident with a forklift. Yeah. Um, Dave was run over by a forklift and, and suffered several major injuries. Having gone through all that, did it help you in any way get over that injury? Um, you know, I don't know. I I, I never once thought about it. What constantly went through my mind was I have to get better for my family it, 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 it was never like I've been through something so traumatic in the past that this trauma pales in comparison because at that point 
My traumatic past was so far in the past. I was 30 when the 31 when the accident happened. I was 31, just turned 31. And the it was so big in my life at that point. Like I couldn't sleep for weeks. I, I couldn't stop thinking about that forklift being on top of me. And so what it took was me getting over the immediate trauma. And I, I never looked back into the distant past and, and said, I've, I've been through some traumatic things. I've lived through getting shot at in traffic. I've lived through getting shot at in my house. I've lived through people trying to burn my house down while I'm sleeping in it. I never once thought that. What I thought was, I have to walk again for my daughter. I have to walk again for my daughter. That was the, the main thing. That's what drove me was having my little girl. I want to play with her so bad. And it's for her sake, not for my sake, for her sake. And that's what that was the driving force. I remember it was five weeks before I could walk again. And that was with the, the aid of a walker. And the whole time, that whole five weeks, I'm going to walk again was what I woke up saying. And it, it, it didn't matter what it took. I'm going to walk again. And after six months, I was, no, no, I'm sorry. It was after four months I was able to walk without a walker. It was after four months. It was in March. The accident was in November. And in March, I remember putting the walker away. What was the uh, extent of your injuries? Uh, well, um, my right knee, my, my actually it was above my knee, my right femur had protruded out from the skin by the knee i, I know your your people can't see it yeah, but this i've got is a very a, visual podcast i've got a healthy scar <laughs> where the bone came out but it didn't break it was smashed into the pavement and the pavement cut the the skin open and then the force of the 6800 pound forklift pushed the bone all the way to the pavement past the skin but the tires were spinning so then it torqued and it it, it just anyway it, it pushed the bone out from le the, the the left side of my right knee on the inside of my right knee but it didn't break that bone which is wild I don't know how that happened uh, but then it came across my hip and it broke my left pubis which is the the groin bone it's the bone that goes from the inside of your groin close to where your bladder is when you feel like you got to pee. There's a bone right there, and it makes a ring all the way to your butt. It's your butt bone. It's your butt and your groin bone on the inside of your groin, and it's what you sit on. When, when someone says you got a bony butt, that's your pubis, and it's called the hip ring. And uh, so I broke the pubis, the left pubis, which is called the hip ring, and then my sacrum was broken and my L5 was broken, which is the last vertebrae in your back, the, the bottom one. So can you kind of walk us through what happened? Yeah, I was working 60-hour uh, weeks. They were working us crazy-like, and I drove a flatbed diesel truck that had a forklift on the back of it that you could unload, you could mount and dismount. It was a Moffett M55, if anybody wants to look it up. And I was 
working horribly long weeks, and it was a Tuesday. It was lunchtime, and my dispatch had just called me and told me that I was going to be working a late night again. And I just, I wasn't seeing my family. I was really upset that I wasn't seeing my family. And Hurricane Harvey had just happened, so we were moving building material like crazy. And so I was in a hurry. I was picking up some building material from a job site that the guys didn't need. And I was loading the truck up, and I had 100 pounds of nails that I had put on top of a bundle of lumber. I loaded the bundle of lumber onto the side of the truck, or I'm sorry, the back of the truck from the side with the forklift, and I stepped off of the forklift onto the front left tire of the forklift, and I grabbed those nails, and the forklift had a funky hydrostat pedal, and it kicked into reverse on its own, and when it did, I was standing on top of that tire, and it knocked me down, and I fell behind that tire and it was immediately on top of my right foot. I was on the pavement and nails everywhere, 100 pounds of nails everywhere, roofing nails. And so it was on top of my right foot. I'm trying to pull it out and it's moving very slowly, but it was so instantaneous. It's like my foot landed so close to that tire, I couldn't get it out. And the, the, forklift is moving ever so slowly but I couldn't pull that foot out and so it finally gets on top of my calf my right calf and I'm starting to make a decision here I've got to get out but it's coming up it's going to get up my leg and so I was able to twist a little bit where I was able to get my body under the forklift so that it wouldn't run my body over but the forklift continued up my right leg and it crossed my hip and it came off of me, off of my left hip. It came up my right leg, across my groin, and it, and it fell off of me on my left hip while my body was under the forklift. It was 33-inch tires. It had the big mud tires. It's one of those job site forklifts. So I was able to actually crawl under it and let it ride up my leg and across my hip. But I didn't want it crushing my stomach and chest area. I, I knew I had to do something. And... Uh, I screamed, oh man, I remember the, but it's not like a, not like a fearful scream. It was a, a grunt almost when that thing got on top of my hip, it like forced air out of my body. I know your lungs aren't down there, but the pain like forced this, this grunt out of my body. And I remember thinking that's, that's not natural, (laughs) but it totally was in the end, but it was involuntary. And then I remember hearing the popping as it went across my, my hip. And I knew, I knew I was in trouble then. So once the forklift got off of me, I rolled under the truck. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I can't explain it, but I'm kind of losing, uh, I'm losing my bearings as it's all happening. Because it's happening fast. It's hot. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on blacktop. And I've got nails everywhere, and I'm scared. I'm really scared, dude. Uh, my cousin died from an injury to his right femur. He was he was in a car wreck, and the femur was shattered, and it cut his femoral artery in, in all kinds of places, and they tried to rebuild it and put it back together. He had five hours of surgery, and he'd still died from from a broken right leg. And here this thing has just run over my right leg, and my cousin died in March of that year, and it's 
November. It's just, what, eight months removed. It's fresh on my mind. He was my best friend. And I, I'm scared. I'm so scared. So I roll up under that the truck, and I remember I'm trying to pull myself up. I grab the steps, and I try to pull myself up, and a man who was working across the road, he pushes me back down. I, I, I didn't even see him. I'm like, I have tunnel vision at this point. And he pushes me back down, and he says, no, man, stay there. Do not move. And I, I can now remember that I've heard the forklift crash into something. So I know it's, it's not going to hurt me. And he gets on the phone and he calls, uh, I don't know, 911, I guess. And uh, I called my wife. And I, I knew I needed to sound strong. But I could hear how weak my voice was. And so I'm trying not to cry. I don't, I don't, I don't want her to know how scared I am. And so I call her and I, I, I ask her what she's doing. She tells me she's having lunch with one of her friends from work. And thank God it was her lunch break, she could answer. And I said, look, I don't want you to worry, but I've just been in a bad accident. And my, my voice broke, but I, I still, I wasn't gonna cry. I wasn't gonna sound weak. I needed her to know that everything was okay. And uh, she said, what happened? And I said, I've, I've been run over by the forklift and her voice dropped and she she said okay i'm i'm gonna come to the hospital and i said okay there's an ambulance on the way i don't know which hospital i'm gonna go to and uh, she went straight to lake charles memorial but it turns out lake charles memorial does not have a crush ward so they had to send me via ambulance to lafayette general because the uh, helicopter was still preoccupied with all the Hurricane Harvey mess that had happened. And I guess Texas had leased the helicopter, and so they couldn't they couldn't fly me. So I had to ride to Lafayette. Can I ask about the ride? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Do, do you – were you conscious of, yeah. of how long yeah, I, of a road that is yeah, it on was, Interstate 10? They were pumping me full of fentanyl the whole time, and Karen Broussard – was the name of the lady who was the paramedic who helped me in the back of that ambulance and I tip my hat to her I haven't seen her since then but I she did a phenomenal job and she propped up my right leg at the moment at that time I really thought my right leg was the most damaged part of my body it hurt so bad and she propped it up on a medical bag they didn't have any way of propping it up but man I couldn't move that right leg I could still move my left leg a little bit in the back of the ambulance. It wasn't until the next morning that I couldn't move either one of my legs. And I guess the swelling in my back and my hip had caused that overnight, but I didn't even know I was bleeding. I didn't know my right leg was bleeding as bad as it was until my wife got to the ER in Lafayette. She said, what happened to your, to your, she said, where's all this blood from? And I didn't even know, man. They, they tried to start a morphine drip, but I didn't want any narcotics in me. So I, uh, I told them no, no morphine. And Anyway, it was uh, two days later. I was home. They told me I could go home when I could use the bathroom on my own. And I so, remember this story. Yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> this is just Dave. This is prime. They, this they, is quintessential Dave. They gave me a walker, and I took that walker, and <laughs> I couldn't move my legs. So I would push up really quick, and I would, 
I would jerk that walker forward a, a couple inches. And I would I would I would just push and, and jerk and push and jerk and I got it to the bathroom and I just dragged my legs behind me. And anyway, the um the the bathroom visit, the first bathroom visit was terrible. I wept on the toilet. I convulsed. My muscles convulsed when I sat down on the toilet and I shook for 15 or 20 minutes and I cried because I didn't know if I would ever walk again. And I, uh, <laughs> I flushed the toilet like I had used the bathroom so that the nurse knew that I'd used the bathroom. And I got up off that toilet and I walked back out and I said, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> so they, they sent me home. I couldn't walk for five weeks after that, but thank God he restored my walking. I, I will say this. I I think I met you roughly around the same time, maybe before you got in the accident. I think it was. And then you had had your surgeries and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, and I came to play uh, video games with you because you were – that was I, awful. Yeah, I remember you that coming. Was like, that was the first time you and I ever really hung out was – yeah, now, I, I refused surgery. I wanted physical therapy. And so for a year and a couple months, I didn't have any surgery. I wanted to get back. I definitely didn't want an operation on my back as a 30-year-old. And it came down to it uh, two years after the accident. I think it was almost to the day. No, I'm sorry, two and a, half, a year and a half. It was 18 months, almost to the day. They uh, They said I had to have surgery. And so... I had the surgery, and I learned my lesson from the accident. I took the pain medication after the <laughs> surgery. And yeah. so I don't remember a lot after the, the what, surgery. What pain medicine did they put you on? I don't remember. Okay. Uh, I really don't. Because I, I've had some strong stuff in I didn't life. care to remember, but they gave me two, two different pain medications. But that was, uh, that was quite an experience. That was, to me, that was the most traumatic thing I've ever been through. The trauma of the barrio, it was gone in a week. Living down here and trusting people, that was gone quickly. But man, that trauma of the forklift, I wasn't right for a long time. Did we see the same forklift at one point in time? We did. We saw the forklift. We sure did, yes. We're yes. eating at uh, Restaurant X because they don't pay for advertisement on this show. Yeah, yeah, and we saw forklift number 610. On oh, the back of a Stein truck. Goodness. It yeah. was uh, red, I believe it, is what red, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My yeah. goodness. I immediately got super worried. And I looked at Dave, and I was driving. I looked at Dave to see what his reaction was. and um, <clears throat> I already beat that forklift once. I, already knew. <laughs> I knew it was scared of me. So, yeah, I, that's really the two things I wanted to talk to you about. I, I know you have uh, so many more things. and I forgot you have been on the show before. No. The golf tournament that you and I covered. Yes. Your voice is on that show. Oh, wow. It was a producer Dave moment where you were just piping in about something. <laughs> but <laughs> we did the we did the uh, the ad read and we interviewed all the golfers. It's like you've been on the show before. And that's another thing where is behind the scenes Dave is, is coming in clutch with all these different things. But yeah, man. I, I just wanted to get you on. I thank you again for being so open and well, honest. Yeah, if I could uh leave a word with any listener you are never too far gone for your life to be better and I don't want to sound like I'm plugging religion 
but for me, it was Jesus that saved me. But I, it doesn't change the fact that you are never worthless. You're never too far gone. You mean something. You are valuable. I do want to end the show with this. As we, as we end the show every single week with the lightning round, or every single bye week, I don't actually know how often we do this show, um, with the lightning round, five to seven random questions. All right, I am prepared. Are you, no one's ever prepared. That's yeah, no, you're right. So, pulling up on on HuffingtonPost.com. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> if you could have a dinner party with three famous people, living or dead, who would they be? Definitely gonna go with Steve Carell. <laughs> I think that would be tons of fun. Um, at one time in my life, I would have said Jim Carrey, but man, that guy's gone way off the deep end. I think that's always been weird, though. Uh, Steve Carell, Jim Gaffigan, and make sure to have your snacks. Oh man, number three is tough, but I know this is gonna sound crazy. You said living or dead? Living or dead. Okay, all right. I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna say it. I want somebody who's gonna be extremely interesting and interested in things similarly to me I'm gonna say Albert Einstein okay it's a good group that is that is just an incredible group of people (laughs) (laughs) well-rounded if you could pick a different first name which would it be oh my goodness Uh, I've never put any thought into this I've always enjoyed Dave or David a whole lot different first name how about Troy? Troy. Troy. Okay. Troy. <laughs> uh, what's the most beautiful place you've ever been to? Most beautiful place I've ever been to, without a doubt. There's no comparison. Uh, I would have to say it is Mount Princeton in Colorado little hometown bias or it's it's about three hours from where i grew up but it has hot springs there's glaciers uh there's some ghost towns you can feed the chipmunks out of your hand it is amazing i have to check that out mount princeton it's in the collegiate range there's like mount yale and harvard and mount princeton is right there in it two questions about food Yes, I am hungry, and I am ready to eat. I'm, I'm also very hungry, and I'm also maybe going to eat. Um, I wasn't hungry an hour ago when we started because you offered me an apple, and I wasn't hungry, and now I am hungry. So it's weird. Uh, cake or pie? Wait, what kind? If it's just cake or pie, it's cake. What kind of cake? Uh, yellow cake. What is yellow cake? It's just, I think, I don't know, it's called yellow cake. <laughs> yellow cake with some chocolate icing. Um, what pie would beat yellow cake? Ooh, okay. Definitely a strawberry cobbler. Does that count as pie? I don't think so. I think it's cobbler. Oh, okay. Just like cheesecake doesn't count as pie because it's cheesecake. Well, okay, then yellow cake. Yellow cake, okay. Is cheesecake a pie or a cheesecake? Uh, cheesecake is a cake. That's the wrong answer. You're a liar. <laughs> it's more close to pie. It is says cake in the name, but it's so fundamentally different from either. It's 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 its own thing. 
Uh, what's your favorite kind of sandwich? Ooh, okay. My wife makes an awesome sandwich, and that's the one, my favorite. Plug in my wife here. She is amazing. She makes this sandwich where she takes white wheat bread. It's the white wheat. It's my favorite. And she puts ranch on the bread, mm. and then she puts salami on the next layer. Now, this is on both pieces of bread. So you have both pieces of bread lying down. You have ranch, salami, then ham. Then you're going to have two types of cheese. And sometimes I'll take lettuce and tomato with that. That sounds just not great for So me. much meat. Oh, I just don't like ranch. Really? Yeah, I don't. No, I'm a honey mustard on salad guy. Honey mustard on salad or Thousand Island on salad. Those are the two worst. <laughs> no, no, Italian vinaigrette is the worst. Oh, okay. All okay. right. Continue. Uh, last one. If you could be an Olympic athlete, in what sport would you compete in for the United States of America? Um, obviously the javelin throw. <laughs> I don't know how that was obvious. That's obvious. What are you, 5'8"? 5'8", five, 5'8", eight? <laughs> five, eight, you probably weigh a little bit more than me. Uh, I am 5'7", and I weigh 170. Oh, wait, I'm 5'8", and I weigh 170 as well. Well, there it is. There it is. <laughs> America's next best javelin team coming at you live from a building um, right down the road from where you and I did the Magnese game together. Undisclosed location. Again, they don't pay for advertising. They do not. Um, Dave, I just want to thank you for your time, man. Yeah, you're valuable. That's the probably the best compliment uh, we've ever gotten. We have a audience member strolling in. Six feet. We need six feet of distance, sir. Six feet with very nice black shiny shoes. Uh, Dave, where can people find you on the internet? Um, they can find me at I am David Deville on Instagram. That's it. Uh, you can follow the show at if anyone cares underscore on Twitter at Riley James IAC on Twitter. Instagram is at Riley James IAC. You can subscribe to the show Apple, Google, and Spotify. Uh, any place you can find podcasts, we're all on the like obscure ones and. Um, that's it. Episode 41. It's been awesome. Dave, fist bump? Fist bump. Poke check, kick check. For David DeVille, I'm Ella James, if anyone cares. <laughs>